When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today on our USFL Spotlight show, so I talked with New Jersey Generals quarterback Luis Perez about his journey to the USFL, choosing to walk on in junior college, only to end up at Texas A&M Commerce, where he won what is equivalent to the FCS Heisman leading his team to a national championship. We spoke a bit about how much we both enjoy New Jersey Generals head coach Mike Riley and what it's like to be the starting quarterback who leads the Generals to a playoff bid in the inaugural USFL season. And then, of course, we get into my week eight power rankings where, yeah, Birmingham's on top, but we got some moving and shaking through the middle. Let's go talk to Luis. I'm pleased to be joined by New Jersey Generals quarterback, Luis Perez. Luis, how you doing? Good, RJ. How are you? I'm good. Congratulations on making the playoffs. How did you learn that you all had made the playoffs? Yeah, so we got a certificate by Daryl Johnson in the locker room, and uh, Coach Riley read it out and said that the New Jersey Generals have punched their ticket to Canton. So we were all very excited and fired up. And, you know, we still got a few more games to go, but we're excited that we got the ticket. Yeah, no, I thought it was very cool. Uh, Coach Riley was kind enough to let me take a picture of it to share for social, and I thought it was supreme class by them to extend an invitation for something that, well, quite honestly, is your right, right? Like, that's that's <laughs> what you're playing for. So the first team in the North Division of two to earn entry into the playoffs. I want to talk a bit about your background, and we're going to work backward and go forward. And by that, I mean, do I have it correct that you skipped a bowling scholarship so you could walk on to play quarterback at your local JUCO? Close. Okay. So men's bowling is actually not an NCAA sport. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's for women's, not for men. Um, so it wasn't a true scholarship that I passed on. I had some scholarship money saved up that I was going to use. It wasn't an actual scholarship from a bunch of different schools, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, in, in intent, you are right. I skipped out on bowling to walk on on junior college to become a quarterback. Yes. Man, that's wild. Um, I'm going to get geeky right now. Is Was it Yaba scholar, uh, scholarship money? from youth bowling or was it from winning tournaments? Yeah. So it was from youth tournaments, from ABT tournaments, from JBT tournaments. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's big time. Um, Luis, I don't mind saying it. I am in awe of any man that can bowl 12 games on a house pattern, pro pattern. I don't care. Uh, the <laughs> kind of concentration that you have to have, the hand-eye coordination is not lost on me, but that's how I want to get to playing quarterback. So, you wanted to play football, but you were also very particular, as I understand it, in wanting to play quarterback. How do you settle on this? Yeah, so you know what? As a kid, I always wanted to play quarterback. There was just something about the position that I just always wanted to do it. And for whatever reason, I just never got around to it. You know, wasn't exposed to it early enough. You know, my dad was a professional soccer player, so I played a lot of soccer growing up, played basketball. Football didn't really come into my life until later on, you know, played flag football in middle school and then you know, walked on in high school. So really, I didn't really get exposed to it until high school, really. Well, it seems like you picked it up pretty quick, but 
I found this note interesting. I need to run it by you. because so I would talk to Coach Riley earlier this year for our head coaching series. And one of the things he mentioned is that you watched a lot of YouTube to learn to play quarterback. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. That's uh, okay. So YouTube to look at mechanics, YouTube to look at plays. Like, take me through. Yeah. <clears throat> so the biggest thing I wanted to set is a foundation, right? So I had a really good quarterback coach when I mm -hmm. first started. His name was Akili Smith. I don't know if you remember. He was a yeah. We know Akili uh, Smith. <laughs> Yeah, he was uh, the 1999 draft, third overall pick to the Bengals. Anyway, so I was very fortunate that one of my buddies, that was his uncle, so and he's from San Diego, where I'm from, and he kind of took me under his wing for a few months. And in, in those few months, while he was mentoring me, I was also on YouTube and, you know, just mechanics, right? I wanted to make sure the fundamentals were there. I, I always knew I could throw spiral. Um, I just didn't know anything about fronts, route combinations, defenses, you know, footwork, I didn't know anything about that, right? So I was learning that little by little, but I did learn a lot from YouTube, though. It's, again, just a wild story. And then to have Achilles Smith as, as any sort of a coach is nothing to sneeze at. But you also choosing to walk on means you're probably behind a bunch of quarterbacks, uh, not just two or three. How did you navigate what essentially is a numbers game that you've been a part of for some time now? Yeah, I mean, just perseverance. Perseverance and having faith in God. I mean, I just... First one there, last one to leave. And I will stay that, you know, on a consistent basis. And little by little, you know, just guys switch positions. Some guys switch sports. You know, I remember some guys saying, you know what, I'm just going to be a pitcher or whatnot. Some guys got injured, like I said. And, you know, now I'm fourth on the depth chart. And now I'm getting a little bit of reps here and there. And, you know, starting to get more comfortable with everything. Um, and then I actually won the two spot in fall camp behind the starter who was a starter the year before. The guy named Frank Foster. And, um, he went down week three or four, and I come in and bring us back in the fourth quarter and win the game. So that was kind of the very beginning of Luis Perez, the quarterback, you know, per se. Man, uh, it's a remarkable story. And I, one of the things that I thought was interesting is there's Chula Vista, California, of course. And there's also, did you know, a Chula Vista, Alabama, which is not far from Birmingham. I thought that. I was, did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I driving in to Birmingham, like, huh, that's interesting as I'm getting ready to talk with you. Um you move on from JUCO to Texas A&M Commerce, and you get to find out that you're not just good, you're really good. When did that sink in for you? Well, listen, I had a lot of great coaching along the way, a lot of great coaching. And uh, I, I want to share this story. So I, um, you know, I wanted to live that Division One dream. I, I wanted to go to Division One, and, and I couldn't for whatever reason. Um, my math wasn't transferable. I actually had an offer from UC Davis. Couldn't go because my math wasn't transferable. But, um, yeah, I had a lot of great coaching along the way. And um, so when I first get to Commerce, you know, I, I get there and I see all these guys. I mean, humongous. I mean, just a, just a big jump from junior college, even from high school um, to, uh, to Commerce. And I get there and I'm like, man, you know, let me, let me, uh, let me see what this football is about. Because I, I wasn't sure really how how good I was going to be. I mean, I knew I had the, the work ethic and I knew I can do it. I just didn't know in my brain how good I could really be. Um, and, and really that stuck with me that like me being so far behind from not playing in high school at all, even, you know, some guys played since they're five years old, right? I didn't have that. So I, I had that, like wanted to play catch up and, and I, I still have that to this day. And I think that was one of the big reasons why I was able to be successful at commerce was because yeah, I was talented and I was, you know, pretty good. And I still had that, you know, in my head, like, hey, you know what? I have to be better because I don't have the experience that all these guys do, right? So I think that was kind of one of the main reasons why 
I was able to do what I did. Well, I mean, it's not just that, you know, uh, y'all were pretty doggone good and you end up winning the Harlan Hill trophy, which is equivalent. I mean, it's not equivalent it is the most valuable player award for the division two. And is, is there Heisman when you find, how did you find out that you won the award number one? And then how did it make you feel? Yeah, you know, when I first found out about it, it was actually, we were, it was during the national championship week. I think it was like the first or second day of the week. And uh, so I remember, you know, we're all in the meeting and, they, you know, they had all the voting and stuff. And I knew I was up for the for the trophy. And, you know, when they announced my name, you know, it was kind of a live cast deal. And they announced my name and, you know, everyone, you know, everyone went crazy. And it was, it was a very, very emotional moment, you know, from, and, you know, as soon as I got the award, I just went back and started thinking about everything it took to get to this moment. And that's one of the biggest things that I just appreciate a lot was all the people that helped me along the way, you know, my parents, my family, my wife, like all these different people that made such an impact. They're also in that award, you know, even though they don't get the credit and didn't say their name on the plaque, but there's so much, you know, importance in that and in me winning that. I find that to be endearing as much as it is earnest because I feel that is the culture in the United States Football League. I've never seen so many guys that just want to play football and so want to share it with the other 45, 50 players on this team or that team. You get to Mike Riley a little bit late, right? There's an injury. They call you. You say that, yeah, sure, I'll show up. Famously show up having already understood and known Mike Riley's playbook. But now that you have been through this for the better part of two months, what stands out to you about the United States Football League? Yeah, I think you, I think you hit it on. I mean, just the people that are here, the players, they're hungry to play football. And, and they know that this may be their last opportunity to get back to the NFL. Like a lot of these guys are they're here because they want to make the jump to the NFL. And you can see it in their play and their demeanor and their work ethic. They know this could be their last chance. And when you have a lot of guys like that, like I feel like our team is full of guys like that. You know, we mesh very well. There's not a bad apple in the room. And we all want to go to the same goal, right, is to go to Canton and win it all, right? And from there, hopefully, on get a, get a chance at the NFL. But I think when you have a room full of those guys, it's hard not to be successful. Um, so I'm very fortunate to be a part of a team like this. You're a very good example of that culture in action. As the first five weeks, you're sharing reps, sometimes snap to snap, with DeAndre Johnson, quarterback position. And all Mike Riley could keep doing was saying, I've never done this before. And I can't do it unless both of these guys are buying into it working. Did it take a whole lot for this to come through for you to see what Coach Riley wanted from each of you? Even though one of you got to start a whole game, you end up clinching the playoff spot for them this week. How did this work for you from a chemistry standpoint? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is me and DeAndre have a great relationship. And I think it starts there. Mm -hmm. um, we were very supportive of each other when one's in the game. We're supporting each other, vice versa. When you, when we each come to the sideline, we're all helping each other on the iPads, you know, talking about what's been going on in the last series. Um, but I think Coach Riley does a great job of kind of putting us in and putting in positions, putting us in position to be successful. Um, obviously, as a quarterback, you want to play the whole time. You want to be the guy. But ultimately, it's what's best for the team. And if Coach Riley feels like that's the best way to, you know, get the win, then we're going to just keep doing that. And it's working. Again, I can't tell you how impressed I was to see how you guys were reeling off victories. I think you're on up to six straight, seven straight, six straight. Six straight, yep. Through, uh, after, yeah, because week one, and the only loss that you have is to the team that's undefeated in this league. I'm interested, though, because we talked about some of the things that are great about the USFL and why you and I both dig it. What's the toughest part of playing in this league? 
I mean, toughest part, I wouldn't say toughest part. I think the biggest thing for guys, the struggle for guys is you only have so much time to get prepared, mm -hmm. right? And I think it's different in the NFL where you have, you know, whole offseason, you have OTAs, you have training camp. You have, I mean, you have all these, all this time to just work on the playbook, work on yourself. Here, it was kind of a situation where, you know, it was, I don't know, I, I don't even know the exact amount of days, but it was like three weeks and you're playing your first game, mm -hmm. right? So some of these guys were in shape, ready to go. Some of these guys weren't, right? And, and it was pretty evident, you know, when we first got here. But again, that I would say that, that would be the biggest thing. Um, it's just like playbook knowledge. I was fortunate enough to be able to, you know, study a bunch of different playbooks before getting the call, you know, trying to be proactive. But I think, you know, I think now we're so late in the season. I think now that's not an issue. I think now we're just playing ball. And I think that's when the most quality ball is going to be played. One of the things that I've tried to be as loud as I can about is that I believe Coach Riley to be one of the best quarterback coaches of all time, if not ever. Phenomenal. Right. And I, yeah. The story that he told me that I got to write about him basically saying I, I the only guy that got to watch Tom Brady play high school football and I wanted him and it just didn't work out for me at the college or the pro level, which, you know, is a nightmare for me. But he seems to be taking it just fine. What do you pick up from a guy like that that perhaps doesn't come across when we watch you play football? Yeah, he there's so much knowledge in there. It, you know, when he talks, I mean. Whenever he talks, I just shut my mouth and just try to listen to everything he says. I mean, that's just the reality of it. He's so smart. He's been around so many, you know, so many great players and been around so much football. Um, great coaches. Obviously, he's had mentors, too, and he's coached greats. So I just want to sit there and just try to absorb as much information as possible from him and apply it to my game, really. It feels like he is the, the same guy the whole time. And what I mean by that is the way he treats me, seems to be the way he treats you. And I find that to be not just endearing and authentic, but I wonder if that catches you. Because, you know, we have the uh, this great broadcast that Fox puts on where we get to hear almost everything that's being said. And the way that he expresses himself is always just kind of tickled me in that, yeah, he's an old school coach. And there's some things that he's just kind of, well, gee golly, I thought that was going to go a different way. But he's also right. Like one of the first things he said to open the season was, I'd be impressed if we didn't run the ball well. Uh, and I thought, huh, passing coach, quarterback coach, run the football. You guys run the football incredibly well. Do yeah. you see that coming out in his attitude from day to day? Yeah, you know, he's such a genuine person. And, and, and you know, when you have somebody of that high caliber, it's hard to find people like that. And I've been very, you know, I'm just humbled by the way he is. You know, just seeing him, the success he's had, and the way he communicates with, with one another. I mean, it's just... I mean, I'm just very impressed with him. I mean, just overall as a person, too, not even just a coach, but what kind of human being he is, he's just so awesome. Yeah, man. I, I could not agree more. My, my last question for you, I give it to every one of our guests who are really just giving us their time here on the USFL Spotlight Show. Why did you want this opportunity to play in the USFL? I want to show the world that I can play in the NFL. And I want another opportunity, another platform to where I can go and prove it and um that's i mean again quarterback position is not just about throwing the football right like there's a lot of misconception with that like the act of leading men is something i really cherish and i love to do the leadership aspect of playing quarterback is very important to me and i take that very seriously and to be in a room full of guys that are hungry you know it's just makes my job easy and uh, i'm very fortunate to be here and and 
excited to move forward. Well, I'm grateful to watch you play football and to participate in this journey that you are on in the USFL. Again, my thanks to you, Mr. Perez. Uh, quarterback, New Jersey Generals. Thank you so much, Luis. Appreciate it, RJ. Thank you. My thanks to Luis Perez for joining us here on the number one ranked show. Congratulations once again to the New Jersey Generals, who were the first of two teams to punch their tickets to Canton for the inaugural USFL playoffs. Can't wait to be a part of that starting June 25th and into the July 4th weekend. But we have had another weekend of USFL football, so we have to do the USFL power rankings. And following week seven, as we go into week eight, home stretch of the regular season, yes, the Birmingham Stallions retain the number one spot. You know, there's a part of me that kind of wants to troll you and put the generals there, but I'm not going to do that because I find that to be just a little too on the nose for moi because that just feels like outrage. Point here is they're undefeated. And while you look at the 7-0 and record, anybody that's been watching the Birmingham Stallions knows they make it dramatic every time they go out there to play, man. They start slow. They look not great offensively and then find a way to put it together in the second half. And, you know, winning is winning. And I'm the king of winning is winning. So absolutely, I'm going to count it. I kind of look at this as a college football season, right? You go to it 10-0. and 0, They ought to be in the playoffs. I'm glad that we, you know, have a playoff that relates to half the teams in the field getting into a tournament. Seems like a working idea. Now, one of the things that is great about the Birmingham Stallions and their win against the Pittsburgh Models over the weekend is they get to be healthy or get healthy, I should say. They have a month to get healthy. They were without Scooby Wright. They were without Marlon Williams. They were without Nate Holly. They lost Victor Bolden in the second half and maybe for the rest of the season. They have some work to do. They were so depleted that they had the number one pick for the Stallions playing slot receiver after he was supposed to start at quarterback. Yes, Alex Magoo was out there looking great. Got some wheels to him. Football slid through his hands, created an interception, but quarterbacks don't usually play receiver and you're getting to see why. Bo Scarborough had 100 yards rushing for a consecutive week. That pickup has paid dividends already. I expect to see them continue to try to win games because that undefeated record is kind of something you want to hold up, but it won't get in the way of Skip Holtz trying to make the personnel changes he'll need to with a new expanded roster to try to give them a chance to win the inaugural USFL championship. Number two, I kind of teased it, kind of led with it, New Jersey Generals. The Generals were the second of the four teams to punch their ticket to Canton with a win against the Tampa Bay Bandits a game that they could have just as easily lost. And frankly, uh, I kind of thought that they were gonna, the way that Jordan Tommy was putting it together at the end of the fourth quarter. But this is also the first game for which Luis got the start and played the entire game. After seeing the two quarterback system work for New Jersey for the first five weeks, we saw DeAndre Johnson take all the snaps in week six, and we've seen Luis Perez take all the snaps in week seven. But an unsung hero here has to be Darius Victor, Vito, as they call him, and his 30-inch thighs. That was interesting. I got to ask him about that in Birmingham. What had happened was Brock Hewitt walked up to a man and said, your thighs are enormous. Can I measure them? To which Vito was like, strange question, but I kind of want to know how big they are myself. So Brock Lesnar, Brock Lesnar, Brock Hewitt, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a flip. Brock Hewitt, you can tell I'm still thinking about what had occurred uh, on Monday Night Raw. Anyway, Brock Hewitt put the tape measure around 
Vito's legs and saw that it was 30 inches. For perspective here, my waist is 28 and a half. So his thighs are bigger than my waist, which is ridiculous. Also, I got a great bite from Victor saying, thick thighs save lives. Love that. Also in there, right, is Mike Riley just being giddy. Like, he showed me the invitation that was sent to him by the Hall of Fame Village in Canton, Ohio, where they will be playing in the playoffs at Tom Benson Football Hall of Fame Stadium and was just over the moon about it. He's very, very cool dude, and I had a joy getting to know him and getting to know his team. We'll see if they can put together the kind of defense that they've been. Chris Dishman's defense been playing lights out. Shalom Luani might be the best safety in the league, probably is. Can they keep that going through the July 4th weekend? That's the question. Number three, the New Orleans Breakers, who won the first ever overtime game in USFL's history. Now, they also got to participate in what I think is a really cool and interesting format, which was a best of three shootout. Both teams got basically two or three opportunities to go for two from the two-yard line. If they had been tied at the end of those best of three, it would have been a sudden death period. Didn't need to do that because Kyle Slaughter found Anthony Jones for the first one after the Michigan Panthers missed their second. Kyle Slaughter ran it in for his second. You get a four-point margin, you win the game. And that's what the Breakers have been about. They've been about winning time, right? If you can put the ball in Kyle Slaughter's hand and say, go win it for you, he's probably going to be able to do that. And that was kind of interesting for me because I watched Zach Smith come in on what was supposed to be like they were going to put Zach Smith in at quarterback, but he played so well through his first TD pass, former Tulsa quarterback stand up in you in the USFL. I thought they were going to stick with him. They went back with Kyle Slaughter. He won them the football game. I'm interested to see what happens on that defensive line in the weeks to come, though, because this was the worst defensive line looked all year for the Breakers. I'm sure Larry Fedora wants to get that fixed, but also just having Noel Mazzoni back seems to be a balm to that offense. They seem to know what they're doing. They seem to go quicker. And being able to add Anthony Jones after the injury to TJ Logan, again, paying dividends. We'll see if they can lock up that second spot in the USFL's South Division, but they've got some competition. And we'll get to them in a bit. Number four on the list, the Philadelphia Stars. So the Stars, the Stars scored 22 unanswered points and had 22 different players record tackles in what was a dramatic come-from-behind victory for them against the Houston Gamblers. They were down 11 going into the fourth quarter, and some absolute blunders by the Houston Gamblers allowed the Stars to capitalize and go get a victory. Channing Stribling continues to demonstrate he is one of, if not the best cornerback in all of the USFL. You got another pretty good game out of Matt Colburn, which is great. And then Jordan Moore has been a tackling machine out there. You guys know how I feel about him. I think he's an outstanding player. Bart Andrews' team was my dark horse to win the USFL before the season started. That also meant that Brian Scott was going to be a starting quarterback. They've been playing without Brian Scott, hope to get him back. And they've been able to stay in playoff contention. And that's what Bart Andrus has been about. He said, we want to be one of those teams that is still playing football at the end of the regular season. And they are on course to do that. Okay, number five on the list is the Tampa Bay Bandits. They are pushing the New Orleans Breakers, or hope to, for that final playoff spot. But that loss to the Generals really hurt them. This is a team for which the quarterback is really the straw that stirs the drink. And I know that coaches really dislike how much we tend to focus 
on the quarterback to quarterback play, but it is the most important position on the field and particularly so for the bandits, because when Jordan Tamu plays well, they play well, which is to say, don't turn over the football. Don't put the ball on the ground. He threw three interceptions in this game. They put the ball on the floor a couple of times, once on a kick return, which is ridiculous and a fumbled snap. You can't do those things and expect to win. As Todd Haley said, look, 100 yards ought to equal a touchdown. We put up more than 300. We ought to score three touchdowns. We didn't. That's on us. We have to clean that up and fix that. If Jordan Tamu plays to the kind of talent and ability that he's shown at times throughout the season, I think that they can go get a win this weekend. Number six on the list, the Michigan Panthers. Perhaps no team has been more unlucky in close game situations than Jeff uh, Fisher's Michigan Panthers. After releasing number one overall pick, Shea Patterson, who was picked up by the New Orleans Breakers in a bit of gamesmanship, they went with Josh Love, who had started the season for the Pittsburgh Maulers, and he quarterbacked them into what was going to be a winner until Taylor Bertolet came through with one second on the clock to tie the game after what was really the play of the game earlier where Kyle Sloter found Jay Adams on a duck, a complete, I don't want to say fluke, but my man was rolling to his left, throwing on his right foot, didn't see it, got hit, and the ball was floating in the air. Jay Adams comes down with it, and they managed to get a timeout with one second left, and that is how you get the beginning of the end for that game. But I really thought that the Panthers showed me a lot in as far as running the football, taking care of the football. They fixed their kicking issues. I mean, they got a two-point conversion in regulation, and they got a 60-yard field goal in four or five out of Cole Murphy. You expect to win those games just – that sucks. Like, <laughs> I hurt for them because they, they were right there to win it, man. Number seven on the list, got to be the Pittsburgh Maulers for me. Kirby Wilson still must be kicking himself because it's not just that they had a lead against the best team in the USFL. It was the largest lead that they had had all year to any team at all. And it happened just as soon as they scored their first touchdown in the first half all year long. They led seven to three. That game ends up getting away from them at the end. For the Maulers, it's not unlike most teams in this league. Uh, I referenced Michigan Panthers and their quarterbacks being on a carousel. The same has been true with basically everybody but the Tampa Bay Bandits. I guess you could talk about Kyle Sloter being that dude one way or another. But the Maulers have had four different starting quarterbacks throughout seven weeks. And if you don't have any stability at that position, it's going to be hard to win football games. Kyle Laletta, he was on the New Jersey Generals roster to start this week. He was their first pick in the inaugural USFL draft. Josh Love, he started some games for them. He ends up with the Michigan Panthers and nearly getting the Panthers to a win. Then they pick up Vad Lee off of his couch. He leads them to their first victory in dramatic fashion. And with minutes left to go, he got benched for 2019 Harlan Hill Trophy Award winner, which is the FCS Heidman, in Roland Rivers. I didn't really understand that one on the broadcast. Didn't feel like Joel Klatt understood that one either. Speaking for all of us going, I don't, Dude's showing a little bit of emotion. I don't know that you give him the hook for that, but that was what Coach Wilson decided to do. And they lost the game to the best team in the league. We'll see if they can put together a couple of wins here to perhaps leave the season feeling good about what they were able to accomplish there at the end. But they got to fix the quarterback situation before they fix anything else. And then last on the list, the Houston Gamblers, a team that just hasn't figured out how to close out games. They had a lead against Tampa Bay Bandits, lost it. Right, They had a lead against Philadelphia Stars. Lost it. They haven't won a football game since the opening week of the season, April 17th. Right, It's just it's rough out there in them streets for Kevin Sumlin's group, man. The gamblers keep rolling snake eyes, keep crapping out. 
whatever other just really tortured gambling reference I can make here. So I'm going to stop. Have an 11 point lead going to the fourth quarter. You ought to win that game. But this is the fourth quarter alone. A missed field goal, an interception, a safety. All in the fourth gave the Stars an opportunity to go and win the game. And then some. You had two quarterbacks put the ball on the carpet. You can't do that. You can't have your quarterback turning the ball over. You got to take care of the football. It doesn't matter that Donald Payne is the best linebacker in the USFL if you can't hang on to a lead. I really hate it for Sumlin and his squad because they've been entertaining to watch. And I got to say, nobody's pulling their hair out more than Kevin Sumlin watching these leads just evaporate in games that they should win. And they could just as easily have won four games as they have lost uh, those four games, being one and six heading into this week eight slate. All right. That is going to do it for us on this episode of USFL Spotlight. As always, my thanks to producer Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Associate producer is Tyler Wojak. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. And I am the host. We'll see you in a couple of days. Deuces.